0: Let's open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. If I were to pose the question to you today, what is the most important thing that we do at Berean Baptist Church? I don't think that any of you would hesitate probably to say that the most important thing that we do here is to give other people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would have to agree with that statement. I might want to make one slight modification to it, When it comes to our whole duty to God or the the greatest duty that we have towards God, we are to glorify God. That's the chief aim that we have is to glorify God. And I would have to say that the chief way that we glorify God is to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, he said these words as he was praying to his heavenly Father. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And what Jesus was talking about was the work that the Father gave him to do to come into the world, to live a perfect life, and to give his life for lost sinners. In another place, Jesus said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so if this is the work that Jesus did that glorified the Father, bringing people to him with the gospel of Christ, then I'd have to say that the greatest work that we can possibly do and the work that glorifies God in the greatest way is when we tell other people that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and he rose again, and he did it, that people might be saved. But the question is, do we really believe that this is the thing that we ought to do? And I don't have any hesitation to tell you that I believe that the great Apostle Paul thought that this was absolutely the chief thing that he was called to do in his life. He must reach people with the gospel of Christ. And that was his most important work. And he said, all that I do, all of these things that I do, he says, this is for the gospel's sake. Now today, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how Paul did all things for the gospel's sake. Every step, every motive. Everything in his life was geared towards this one thing, to reach people for Jesus Christ. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read our text verses today. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll begin reading this morning with verse number 15. Verse 15, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die." than that any man should make my glory void. Now I need to stop there just for a second and let's connect this to what the message was about last week. Last week we were talking about the responsibility of the church to take care of the pastor, to take care of preachers of the gospel. You ought to support him with your tithes and your offerings. But what Paul is saying here in verse number 15, he says, I haven't asked for these things and neither am I writing this letter for the particular purpose that I want to get money from you or I want you to support me. And then he goes on he says, here's the real reason that I'm here. He says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So he says, I am compelled to do this. I must share the gospel of Christ. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews... To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Now that seems a little bit confusing as I read that, but simply what he's saying is that I preach to the Jews, these are the people who have received the law of God, and I preach to them, and I do whatever I have to do to win Jews to Christ. But then he says, I also preach to Gentiles. These are people that have not been given the law of God, even though they are responsible before Christ. I also preach to them the gospel. Then he goes on and he says in verse number 22, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Notice verse 23, because this is our text verse today. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word today, help us to very clearly understand that the chief job that we have to do here at Berean Baptist Church is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask you, Lord, that you might speak to our people today. Open our hearts to your word and may we really understand how we all need to be involved in this great endeavor to reach the world for Jesus Christ. In these, name we, these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Do we really believe that preaching the gospel and reaching people for Christ is the number one priority of Berean Baptist Church? Now, as I, may, I ask that question and make these statements, you ought to very quickly realize that when I speak of the church, I'm not speaking abstractly. And there are uh, senses, or there is a sense in the Bible where the church is used abstractly, and that's when you talk about the church as an institution. But most of the time, when you see the word church in the New Testament, it's talking about a group of people in a particular locality, and it's talking about the folks that are the members of that church. And so when I say, is this our number one priority as a church, I want you to understand that I'm speaking to each of us as individuals. This is the message that each of us needs to get, that it is our responsibility. And the question is, is this the thing that we make the number one priority of our lives? Do we do all things in our lives for the sake of the gospel? There are some churches that do a very good job of this in making it a priority, but unfortunately, what they do is they ask their members the wrong question. And the question that they ask is, how many people have you won to the Lord? And that's a wrong question, I think. Uh, your position in that church sometimes and your acceptance and as a good spiritual Christian and, and someone you ought to be is dependent on the way that you answer that question. How many people have you won to the Lord? And so, uh, recognition is sometimes given because of that. A tally is made according to how you answer that question. But I really don't think that's the question that ought to be asked. The question that really should be asked is Have you tried? Have you tried to speak to someone about the Lord? And the reason I say that is the proper question because it is not our responsibility to convince anyone of the gospel of Christ. We cannot convict people of the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so we ought, ought not to ask the question, how many people have you won? And that, and that tells us how good of a Christian you are. The, the question really is, have you even tried to do this? Have you talked to somebody about Jesus Christ? If we were to use the criteria that many churches use today about soul winning, Jesus himself would not have been considered to be a very good soul winner. And you know why? Because we don't have any record in the Scripture where when Jesus was preaching on the earth that he brought thousands of people to him. When he carried out his, his greatest crusades, there were sometimes more than 5,000 people who came to hear Jesus at once, and yet we don't have any record at all. Nothing is said in the Scripture that thousands of people actually believed in him. Could he have saved everyone who came? Well, certainly he could. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He can save anyone he wants to save. But Jesus is showing us and the Bible shows us that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the heart and those who will be saved are the ones that God determines to save. And so it's not a question of how many people we have won. It's a question, are we getting the gospel out there to people? So don't don't worry about this question. I'm not going to ask you, how many people have you won to Jesus Christ? Please supply me with that number. The question is, are you fulfilling the commission that Christ has given us as members of his church. Are we reaching people? Are we speaking to people about the gospel of Christ? Now, I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes today, and we're going to see that this is Paul's true heart for the gospel. Now, first today, I want you to notice the sacred privilege of sharing the gospel. And sharing the gospel is a sacred privilege. Paul says that I love to share the gospel. I explained last week in the sermon that that Paul certainly had every right to demand that these people would support him as he preached there. He had the right to expect that because he labored among them, because he's the one that brought the gospel to them, he had every right to expect that those people would pull out their pocketbooks and they would begin to support him in his ministry. The, The Scripture said that those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But Paul chose not to exercise that right among these people. Does that mean that he never received their support? Was no monetary support ever given to Paul? No, because we can look in the book of Philippians and we find that one of the reasons that he wrote that book was to thank those people for all these generous gifts that they'd sent him while he was in prison. But there was something different about these people at Corinth. Here Paul decides that he'll take no support, and he says that I am compelled to continue to preach the gospel among you, and I'm going to do that without receiving your financial support. So there's something more here that compelled him to preach the gospel without pay. So why would Paul do that? I think there's a good reason for it, and, and one of the best reasons I can think of is because there, there were many teachers and preachers that were in those Greek cities, Um, they went around teaching and speaking, and the purpose that they did was because this was their profession. They did it in order to make money. And so they just went to speak. They were great orators, and, and people would pay them to come and speak. Well, Paul was not there for that purpose. He didn't want it to be in the minds of his hearers to think that the reason that he came to preach to them was because he's there to receive their money. So he didn't want the gospel to be hindered in any way, Because he simply considered preaching to this people to be his blessed privilege. Now, that is a great question for us today. Do we consider it a privilege, a real privilege, to share the gospel with others? Do you consider that to be drudgery? I mean, is the reason that you would talk to somebody about Christ because you think that you have to do this, and and if you don't, you feel guilty about it? And there are lots of people that that have that attitude. They say, Well, I know that I ought to do this, and when I don't share the gospel, I just feel so guilty about that. Is guilt the motivation? Is that what causes you to share the gospel with others? And if it is, I would suggest to you that you won't do very much of it, because what will happen is you'll very soon learn to live with the guilt. You'll get over the guilt. This is not Paul's motivation. He, he doesn't preach the gospel because he feels guilty about it. He considered this to be a privilege of the highest magnitude. I can share the gospel with other people. And the same reasons that Paul shared the gospel are the very same reasons that we ought to do it today. In these scriptures, Paul gives us three different types of people that God uses to share the gospel and if you're somebody who loves to do this, I think you'll find out that you are in you'll find yourself among these three types. You'll be all three types of persons. Now, first of all, God uses humble servants. Now, if you'll look at verse number 19, he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Now there's a lot that goes into that statement. Paul says, I'm free from all men. And one of the things that he means by that is that he's free because he hasn't taken their support. He's not beholding to them in any way. And so they couldn't say, now, Paul, you have to stay here. You have to continue preaching because we're giving you a paycheck every week. And so this is your responsibility. that You stay here and you preach to us. Now, you might be able to say that to me. You could say, Pastor Smith, we're paying you. And so we expect you to be here three times a week to preach to us because you're receiving a paycheck from us. And I hope you don't feel like that over the next two weeks while I'm gone because I need this money to pay for the trip. So, so you, you keep on paying me, please. But there's nobody here at Corinth that could say, Now, Paul, you have to stay here because you're receiving a paycheck from us. Then Paul could also say that he was free because of his office of apostleship. And I mean that there was no ecclesiastical authority that was higher than Paul. There was no one who could say, now, Paul, here's what you're supposed to do because we have authority over you. We're higher than you are, and so we're going to make you do this. No, Paul was the highest ecclesiastical authority on earth at that time. The only one who was higher than him is Jesus Christ himself. And so he's not compelled to preach the gospel because he has to because they told him to. Now, folks, here is the thing that makes Paul even more remarkable. And that's because even with his position, with his authority, he still freely chose to make himself a servant of men. And isn't that so much like the Master? Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus gave up his throne in heaven. He gave up all the glories that were there, and he came to this earth, and he lived among us. He made himself of no reputation And the Bible tells us that he became a servant of men. And the reason that he did that was in order that he might save us. And friends, that is the picture of what it really takes to be a soul winner. It takes somebody who's willing to be a servant. You remember when Jesus bent down and he washed the disciples' feet? And then he said, if I, the master, wash your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so Jesus was willing to become that servant. And this is exactly what it takes. It's a person who considers himself to be a servant, a servant to the people that he gives the gospel to. Now, here's one thing you'll never do. You'll never win people to Christ if you consider yourself to be above the people that you try to win. Now, in one sense, I think that we can say that whenever you give the gospel to someone, you do that person a favor. I mean, anybody who receives the gospel of Christ, that's a favor to give them the gospel. But if you go to that person and you come to them with this attitude, you are blessed to have the pleasure of my company. I'm the great soul winner, and now I've decided to take my precious time, and I'm going to share with you the gospel of Christ. That's the attitude you have. You won't win anybody to Jesus. There are too many people in churches who like to point the finger at themselves And they really love the question, how many people have you won to the Lord? You know why they like it? Because they've been keeping count. And they want to make sure that you know the tally of how many people they've won to the Lord. But you know what Scripture is teaching us? That God wants humble servants. And the reason that you share the gospel of Christ is because you consider this to be a blessed privilege to share it with people. Now that brings me to the next person that God uses. God uses compelled volunteers. Do you know what an oxymoron is? Government efficiency, that's an oxymoron. Public school education, that's an oxymoron. Moral democrat, that's an oxymoron. Uh, Compelled volunteer, compelled volunteer, that is an oxymoron. And Paul said, that's what he was. If you've ever been in the service, most, um, most a lot of you have, the sergeant says, I need a volunteer, You, 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 and you. And you don't have a choice about that. And this is exactly what Paul says that he was. He says, I am a compelled volunteer. And maybe that doesn't make sense to us, but it sure made sense to him. Look what he says in verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He says, if I preach willingly, then I would receive reward. So pretty much he's saying, I would deserve reward if I volunteered to do it. But now notice verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So verse 16 says there is a necessity here. He's compelled to do this. God is the one who called him into the ministry. Paul didn't have any say in the matter. In fact, you remember that Paul said that from the time that he was born, he was set apart to preach the gospel. From the time that his mother gave him birth, he said, this is what God has called me to. And so before Paul was ever born, God decided that he would be saved and that Paul would be a preacher of the gospel. Now, you can draw your own doctrinal implications from that statement. So here's the twist of this. He, he didn't imply that he wasn't a volunteer. He did it because he wanted to, but then he says, I can do nothing else because I am compelled by God to do this. So he's a compelled volunteer. Is that the way you feel about the gospel? Is that the way you share it? I just have to do it? I'm compelled to do it? When you're saved, I think that you will feel that way. Now, you may not feel that way right now as a Christian because you may have repressed it and you may be out of fellowship with God and and that's the reason that you don't share it. But what if things are different? What if you are a prayed up, you are a read up, and you are a confessed up Christian? Then what do you want to do? I think you'll be just like Jeremiah. Here's what Jeremiah said. He said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. So here Jeremiah says, I tried to stop talking about Jesus. I wanted to stop talking about him. I tried to keep this quiet, but he said when I did, it was like a fire in my belly. This just kept burning in my bones. I couldn't help but talk about him. I must speak about him. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. Why did he share the gospel? He's compelled to do it. And he did it for the very same reasons that you and I ought to do it. Now he explains it. Not in this text, but he does give us two very good reasons why we're all compelled to share the gospel of Christ. Here are the reasons that he gives us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. The first reason is that the love of Christ constrains us. He says, the love of Christ constrains me. And what he means is, Christ grabs me. Christ's love has taken hold of me. Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus went to that cross. He laid down his life for me. And so I cannot hold this back. I have to share this wherever I go. Is that the way you feel? Does the love of Christ compel you? Does it constrain you? Have you ever felt that the love of Christ was so burning in your soul that you had to get it out because you had to cool down your bones? You ever felt like that? That's what Paul felt like. That's what Jeremiah said. But I'm afraid, really, that most of us are like the church at Ephesus that Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 2. And there he told them, you have left your first love. And that's why there's really not a burning inside. Then the second reason that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 5 to share the gospel is because of the terror of the Lord. He says, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so Paul says, I am compelled to share this because I know that there is a hell. And I know that if I don't tell people about it, they'll stand before God, they are condemned, and they'll be cast into this burning hell fire forever. And he says, that is motivation to me. I want to tell people about Christ. Think about it. Is that enough motivation for you? Is it enough motivation to think that your mom or your dad... Your brother, your sister, your cousins, the people that you work with, is it enough motivation that you see them today and tomorrow they may be cast into the fires of hell? Is that enough motivation to get you to talk to somebody about Jesus? Paul said, it's enough motivation for me. That's why I have to share the gospel with people. I am a compelled volunteer. I can't help but share the gospel. It's a fire that burns in my bones. Well, who else does God use? God uses faithful stewards. And this is really the crux of Paul's statement. In verse 17 he says, A dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. The word dispensation in that verse is the same word as stewardship. When Jesus talked about the parable of the unjust steward in Luke chapter uh, 16, he used that same word. Peter uses this word in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. He says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards. And that's the same word as dispensation. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what Paul is saying is that I am a steward of the gospel. Steward is actually a financial word. And what it means is it's like when a child has an inheritance... And he's too young to receive the inheritance, so they take the money and they put it into the bank. The banker is the one who is the steward over that money. And so it's the banker's job that he takes that money, he is entrusted with the care of the money, and he's to invest that money wisely. And this is what God says, if you are one of his children, if you've been saved by him, he says that you are also a steward. And what you are a steward of is the unsearchable riches of Christ. What God has entrusted you with is the most valuable thing that any person could ever have. And so if you have become a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that means that you are to invest His gospel wisely. And how do you do that? Well, the only place to invest the gospel is in the souls of men. And so if you're going to use it wisely, then that means you need to talk with people, you need to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a good question for all of us. Are we good stewards of the manifold grace of God? Do we consider it truly to be a sacred privilege to share the gospel with other people? Now that leads me to a second observation today. It is a sacred privilege to share the gospel. And also we're going to talk about the successful practice of sharing the gospel. I could uh, go on today and I could tell you about all the techniques that the, and the tricks that soul winners use. There's the sneak-up tactic, There's the three points in a prayer tactic. There's the bug them to death until you get a confession out of them so they will leave them alone tactic. In my office, I have the soul winning manuals and you can read those and you find the one, two, three step approach to how you're supposed to win people to Christ. No, I think Paul was quite different. In fact, I think that if Paul were alive today, he probably wouldn't even recognize the kinds of methods that people use. Recently, I heard a, one preacher talking about his soul-winning uh, ex- escapades, and he was talking about uh, what he used to do in winning souls. And he brought up the Campus Crusade for Christ, for spiritual laws. Anybody ever heard of that? The Campus Crusade, for spiritual laws? And he said, that one law says, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Did you know that you can't actually make that statement truthfully to any person? What if you were standing outside of the World Trade Center at 8 o'clock in the morning on September the 11th, 2001? You're greeting all the people who come in to work that day, and you say to each one of them, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Could you say that to them? You couldn't say it to them. And Paul never used that approach. Paul used a different way of winning people that, that would be rejected by most of the, of the high-powered evangelism ministries today. What is it that Paul did? Well, his model is here in verses 19 through 23. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak Became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. What is Paul's method? Well, he actually gives us two principles for successful evangelism in these verses. Number one, or the first principle that he gives, is the principle of relationships. Paul says to the Jew, I became like a Jew... To the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. To those that are weak, I became like a weak person. And what he's telling us here is that evangelism flows along relational lines. Now, there are basically two types of evangelism that are used today. One is called confrontational soul winning. And and that's what many of the the high-powered soul winning ministries use. They call it confrontational evangelism. Are we against confrontational evangelism? No. No. No, we're not against that at all. We're against confrontational soul winners, not confrontational evangelism. And most of these folks, I'm afraid, they really don't know the difference between the two. Confrontational evangelism is when you just walk up to a stranger, somebody that you don't know, and you begin to talk to them about the Lord. And you tell them that Jesus came to save sinners. You tell them there's a hell. You tell them there's a heaven. And if they'll trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, they can go to heaven. And that's fine. Uh, that, that's a good thing to do, to talk to people in that way. But the difference between a confrontational soul winner and confrontational evangelism is that soul winning does not mean that you go up and you hit people on the head with your big black King James Bible. And it doesn't mean that you stand outside of bars and, and tell people that are coming out that they're going to hell because they drink alcohol. And it doesn't mean standing on street corners and waving signs and yelling at cars as they go by. That's not the right kind of evangelism. How did Paul do it? Well, he had the principle of relationships. And so Paul's method was relationship evangelism. And so when he went to Corinth, what he did was he got right down into the daily life of the people and he began to develop relationships with them. Paul built a relationship with people so that whenever they had a need in their life, They could look at Paul and see that there was something different about him, and they would go to Paul and they would say, here's what I need, and what is it that makes your life so different from the way that I live? And that's what Paul's describing in these verses. He's talking about this relationship that he's building. And do you know that you you can do the same? You can target someone that you want to win to the Lord, and you can start to build a relationship with them. You know, a lot of people have difficulty with the way that Jesus did things. The Bible says that he was the friend of publicans and sinners. And they have problems with that. Well, the reason that Jesus did that, he was among those people because whenever they had a need, he was there to fulfill the need. And so you can begin by building relationships with people. And that doesn't mean entering into their sin. You need to guard against that. You don't do that. But you build a relationship so that when they have a need... They see something different in you, and so they call on you. Before I became a pastor, I used to work a public job like like you do, most of you do. And uh, one thing that I did, uh, of course I talked to people about the Lord, but I didn't stand at the door every time that people came in and hit them over the head with a soul-winning presentation every single day and bug them to death about, are you going to trust Jesus today? Are you going to trust Him today? What's wrong with you? I never did anything like that. Uh, I... Simply tried to live a Christian life and present a good testimony before people. I remember once that there was a lady who was going uh, having trouble in her marriage and she was about to go through a divorce, and she needed to talk to someone about it. You know who she chose? She didn't go to the other people in the office that were alley catting around every night. She went to a Christian. She wanted to talk to a Christian to help her with her problem. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. When you build relationships with people, when, when you present the right testimony in the places where you work, then people will come to you when they have a problem. And you can begin to win people in the Lord to the Lord in that way. Now, the second principle that Paul uses here is the principle of Flexibility. Now, the problem with confrontational evangelism so much of the time is that it has a standard one-two-three approach, and that's why they put out those soul-winning manuals, the standard one-two-three approach, their guaranteed success manual in order to get people saved. And they say, this is the way you have to do it. But what Paul did was that he learned to be flexible when he gave the gospel to people. He didn't always make the same presentation. That's why he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, and to the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul ever compromised any of his convictions because he didn't. But when it wasn't a matter of morality and it wasn't a matter of doctrine, then Paul did everything that he could to fit into what these people were doing so that he could put the himself into their place. And so he says, I'm not rigid over these things. And so what Paul did, he just gave them a new beatitude. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. And that's what you need. You have to be flexible. Jesus used a flexibility approach. You remember when he was speaking to Nicodemus? Some people will read John chapter 3 and they think, well, that was just a simple presentation of the gospel. But if you study John chapter 3, you'll find out that that is one of the deepest theological discussions that ever took place on the face of this earth. And you know why Jesus talked to Nicodemus the way he did? Nicodemus was a doctor of the law. Nicodemus had read Old Testament scripture. He was well-versed in it, so he could talk theology. And so Jesus could talk to him about the deepest theological questions. But do you remember how Jesus approached the woman at the well? She couldn't speak theology to him. And so Jesus had to alter the approach. And so Jesus began the conversation simply by talking about water. And he said, woman, he said, did you know that if you had asked this person that you're talking to, if you really knew who he was, if you'd asked him for a drink of water, that he would have given you living water. And so Jesus altered the approach according to who he was talking to. And this is what Paul is saying. You need to be flexible in the way that you present the gospel. So if you will apply these principles, if you will build relationships with people, if you will be flexible in the way that you approach them, then what you do is you set the stage for the Holy Spirit to begin working in their heart. And God takes the gospel message that you give, you can't convince the people, but the Holy Spirit takes that gospel message and He uses that to convict that person. But He'll never convict them unless you show them and you give them the gospel of Christ. Now, we're going to notice one last thing before I close the message today. I'll hurry. I don't want you to think that, that now that I'm leaving that uh, you'll get to hear short messages, and that'll be so much better. So I'm going to try to hurry to get through this. Number three is the selfish purpose of sharing the gospel. There's a sacred privilege to it. There's the successful practice, but there's also the selfish purpose. And when I say selfish, folks, I certainly do not mean that in a bad way. I mean that there is a benefit for every Christian person who obeys God to share the gospel. Paul gives it to us in verses 25 through 27. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So what is the selfish purpose of sharing the gospel? To obtain a lasting reward. To obtain a lasting reward. He says there is an incorruptible crown that's coming for every humble servant, for every compelled volunteer, for every faithful steward, if you are diligent about this if you give the gospel you will obtain an incorruptible crown and when paul said that he must have been thinking about either the Isthmian games or the greek olympic games that took place at his time and he used that as a comparison he says if i'm going to win this incorruptible crown then i have got to discipline myself for the race that i run and so he gives the example of an athlete and he says the athlete trains he works hard he tones up his muscles he eats all of the right food. He, he takes the right amount of exercise. He never lays down on the job because he knows if he does, then he's going to, he'll fail. He, he'll fall. He, he'll be disqualified from the race if he's not everything that he needs to be to work as hard as he can. Now, some people will look at verse 27 and they think, well, Paul's talking here about losing your salvation. When he says about being a castaway, Paul's not talking about losing salvation. I mean, mean, that would be against everything he ever spoke about, the grace of God. What he's talking about here is being disqualified from God's service. And so he fought, he struggled, he, he worked as hard as he could to maintain this good testimony before others so that he did not lose his advantage. His life had to be what it needed to be so he didn't lose the advantage of having a good testimony. Now, Christian, here's the question. Is that where you find yourself today? Are you unable to win people to Christ because they would never come to you and ask you about the hope that's in you? You know, that's what Peter said. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that's in you. Think about this right now. Has anybody that you work with ever asked you about the hope that's in you? If they haven't, why haven't they? It's because they've seen something in your life? Have they seen something in the way that you live that's not a good testimony and so they're not even aware that you're a Christian? They'd never ask you about any hope. Paul is telling us here that we need to present that great testimony. Don't lose your advantage of being able to win someone because of a bad testimony. Psalm 126 verse 6 says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So friends, the question today is not, how many people have you won to the Lord? I'm not going to ask you that question, but I will ask you this. Have you even tried? Have you shared the gospel with someone? Will you do all things for the gospel's sake? That's what Paul was willing to do. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you again today and we ask you that you would speak to our hearts, lay it upon the heart of every Christian here today, the necessity of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we sing this invitation hymn, that we would examine our hearts and we would look to see, is there some sin there that needs to be out of our lives? Has anyone ever asked me about this hope that's in me? Do I really show people that there is hope? And I ask you, Lord, that you would speak to Christians. And if there's something that they need to get out of their lives, that today would be the day that they would do it. Then, Lord, I also pray for someone here today who may not know you as Savior. I ask you that you would speak to their heart, that you would grant them the Holy Spirit to come in and open their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us today in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we sing.